Good afternoon. Thank you. And welcome to the Lacey Alderson Show. We are checking in today. We've got a great episode for you lined up with some of my favorite people. Um, before we get started, we got to give a shout out to the sponsor, Pink Box Donuts. They are so good. You will lick the box. Um, they have got um, some amazing vegan options, which I brought in for Dr. Paul Wilkes, who is in the house with us today. Um, that happens to be one of his... Um, his scene right now is like a little bit of a vegan scene. I learned about 75% vegan, 25% not. So I wanted to make sure he was represented and pink box was able to accommodate that. Um, they kind of have everything you want in terms of like a sweet little treat and um, they're fun. Who doesn't want a freaking donut with like all kinds of fun sprinkles and shit. So we're here, we're getting ready to get it go. Let me introduce Dr. Paul Wilkes. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And um, there's a reason I wanted Dr. Paul Wilkes to come in today before we get started. And that was because quite a few of my previous guests have come on and they are huge fans of his. And they have, he has assisted them with their deliveries and he has assisted them with the miracle of life. And it's um, pretty great to have him here. And I just wanted to make sure we went full circle so we could hear a little bit about him. This man that's a part of our Las Vegas community who gives um, so much to so many women and, you know, men and, and families. And um, he's, like I said, a great part of that. That being said, um, Dr. Paul Wilkes, I'm going to read a little bit about your bio. I told him before we got started that was going to happen. Um, he's an expert with prenatal care to women in the communities of Henderson and Las Vegas. Um, he currently resides at Desert Prenatal. Perinatal. 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 Yep. Thank you. Okay. Um, he received his Bachelor of Arts degree from Pepperdine. Yep. Um, Doctor of Medicine from University of Nevada. Yep. School of Medicine. Postgraduate work in um, obstetrics and gynecology. Yep. There it is. Okay. Yep. Um, he served as assistant professor of obstetrics and gynecology at the University yep. of Nevada and as an instructor fellow at maternal fetal medicine at the University of Colorado Health Sciences Center of Denver. Is this correct? Yes. Very impressive sounding too. Thank you. I mean, you're like amazing. I'm not done with you yet. Oh, okay. He's, um, Carry been, on. Excuse me, he's been widely published in respected medical journals and regularly lectures nationally on perinatal Yep, did it. Boom. Got it. It only took me 10 tries. Boom. Um, topics. Um, board certified with the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists. Five star. Five star. I mean, come on now. Dr. Wilkes also serves at, in, in his community here in Las Vegas. He's on the board of directors for two local foundations. Is that still true? Uh, yeah, I'm focusing mainly on the Pat Kelly Youth Foundation now, though. Okay, I love that. So let, we're going to make sure we lo talk about that here in a minute. Perfect. And he's a father of three and loves writing, CrossFit, traveling. Anything else you want to add to that? Uh, Christine. Mm -hmm. I love Christine. We love Christine. Christine's in, in studio with us, so she may get me coming on in a minute too. Yep. And we're going to talk a little bit about Christine and Paul and kind of why I've kind of fallen in love with their love story as of late. So, um, Dr. Wilkes, it's so great to have you here. I feel like we were able to get a little bit of your basic bio put together, but I want to really hear from you how you got here. I mean, where were you born? I want, I want like all the things. I want all the things about you. Let us in. Let us in. Sure. Well, first of all, um, thank you for having me. And uh, thanks to Pink Box for the vegan treats. Whoop, whoop. I am, yeah, I'm trying to slim down the old waistline <laughs> as summer approaches, uphill battle. Um, yeah, I, um, you know, it's funny. We were driving down here. I said to Christine, I mean, I'm not really sure why I'm coming on this podcast. And sure. she said, because you're interesting. Absolutely. And I thought, uh, sure. Not, not so much. So I'll try and uh, make it interesting. But I was, uh, I'm the middle son of, uh, I have an older brother and a younger brother, and I have younger sisters, so there are four of us. And I was born in Bethesda, Maryland, and when I was five years old, moved out to Las Vegas, Nevada. And um, we thought that we moved out here. My dad was a physician, and he was helping to develop some medical programs out here. The population of Las Vegas was around right around 100,000 at the time. Yeah, the last paved road to cross Charleston was Decatur. Jeez. Yeah, everything else was desert. And you were five. I was five. Gosh. And, um, you know, normal childhood, making forts in the desert and, um, you know, lighting shit on fire and fist fights and yes. normal Vegas stuff. I remember my mom would, uh, in the summer, she would give us a dollar in the morning and we would take off on our bikes. And the rule was she had to be home by the time the street lights went on. All Gone all day. No cell phones. No nothing. Just Gosh. gone all day. One dollar. One dollar did it all. Yep. And we would ride down at the strip and lock up our bicycles and sneak into a hotel pool. And then we'd get thrown out and ride our bike to the next hotel and, you know, go out in the desert and find shovels and dig forts and just normal childhood stuff. It's crazy how much I'm sure you've seen the city change, too. Yeah, it's wild. Um, 
I've seen, you know, interestingly enough, it still does have that small town feel for me because I've been here so long. So, you know, the people with whom I grew up are, you know, I run into them at the grocery store or, um, you know, at the gym when we're over doing yoga. Of course. Um, but, you know, it really does still have that small town feel, but with all the amenities of a of a big town, great restaurants and entertainment and shopping and... But no, pretty normal childhood. My, um, I ended up going to boarding school for high school. Um, my dad was very big on education. And, um, you know, I was getting A's and B's just showing up at Hyde Park Junior High. You bet. Um, if you had opposable thumbs, you got C's. If you could uh, spell your name correctly, you got B's. And then if you actually made 50% of your classes, you got A's. It was not terribly rigorous and sure. my dad figured out that we needed to be challenged so my brothers and I headed off to boarding school in Santa Barbara California where we had a school six days a week and you had to play a sport every season and you lived in dorms and made your own bed and did your own wash and um, it was good I was terrified when I did it but looking back good experience you did like it though I did I thought it was great um, I, I don't know that I would have liked it had I gone by myself, sure. but to have my two brothers there, they were, you know, we were born o October 65, October 66, October 67. Oh my goodness. Yeah. My mom had three boys in three years. Wham, wham, wham. Yeah. My dad used to say to us, yeah, I got it once a year, whether I needed it or not. And we were like, that's, there it is. That's disgusting. That's disgusting. But there, yeah. there you are. Yeah. There Thanks. you are and all that. That's our mom we're talking about. That's so great. Um, so yeah, I went to boarding school with my two best friends. And you did know. you know then what you wanted to do or what were you kind of into? What were, what were your passions or, or hobbies at that point? Um, yeah, I didn't really know. I mean, I always was very interested in science. I would, um, you know, I would go to the hospital with my dad on weekends and run around the hospital. He ran a laboratory and I would fiddle around with the microscopes. And um, I was always out in the desert collecting bugs and looking at them under the microscope. And I was kind of a dork. Growing up, um, sure. I just liked that, but I didn't know, you know, how that was going to fit into my career. And in fact, when I left, um, after I graduated from Kate, which was the boarding school, uh, I went to UCLA for a year and I was a, um, you know, I wanted to go to medical school, but I declared my major as a French major. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and the reason that I became a French major was where the freshmen were all kind of congregating um, in, oh God, what's well, called Poly Pavilion. It's where we would decide, you know, what classes we were going to sign up for and whatnot. I kind of wandered over into a corner. There were a lot of really pretty girls and I wandered over and said, what's going on over here? They said, oh, we're the French majors. And I was like, I'm a French major. So I signed up for French classes. Um, but after about a year I took a year off because I didn't know whether I wanted to be a teacher or a doctor. Okay. So I took a year off and came back to Las Vegas, moved into my bedroom where I, you know, grew up as a kid. Sure. And um, got jobs at hospitals to figure out if medicine was going to be my jam. Because it hit me freshman year in college that it was going to require a lot of sacrifice. Um, and for the first time, I was exposed to academic medicine at University Medical Center there on Charleston Rancho. And I realized if if I wanted to, I could be a doctor at a teaching hospital. And, right. is, and for people who are listening that don't know what that is, or maybe young people are trying to kind of figure out their careers, that basically is teaching, like you said a minute ago, at a hospital. Yeah, so if you think about the way a grade school teacher will teach you, you know, reading, writing, and arithmetic, an academic physician will teach you about anatomy, physiology, how to operate, how to deliver a baby, how to work up a sick patient, come up with a diagnosis and treatment plan. So it's very much the same thing as any teacher in any academic institution. It's just that the subject matter is medicine as opposed to, you know, history or English or philosophy. And what, where do you think you got this drive about teaching? Where do you think that came from? Was there a teacher that influenced you or where, because like you said, you said a minute ago, you were kind of always thinking like, maybe you wanted to do that. Where did that, where did that influence come from? You know, I think I got, boy, I think I got the, the, um, idea of teaching from my father. He was um, one of the first seven faculty members at the University of Nevada School of Medicine when it was founded. And I remember him leaving midweek to fly up to Reno and to teach. 
and it instilled in me this idea that if if you are blessed enough to have the time to you know master a subject then you're obligated to give back mm. and help others do that um it, i always looked at it as a as a privilege but as a responsibility sure um, people that are listening that are wondering, you know, do I want to go to medical school now? Maybe they've got their, you know, they're straddling a couple different options of things that they want to do. What do you think about medicine today? I mean, what, what, would you, what would you say to one of your children if they came to you and said, hey, dad, I want to be a doctor? Do you think that where the profession's gone since you started, is it still, you know, worth what it was? Or I mean, how have you seen it? Have you seen that growth change in terms of people that are making a decision like that? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, lots and lots of changes in the last, you know, I've been doing this 25 years. Lots and lots of changes. Um, there are certainly more frustrations now than when I first started. Uh, there are a lot more people to whom I have to answer, a lot more hoops to jump through to deliver care to patients. Um, seems like more and more the um, you know insurance companies and managed care organizations will tell us what we can and cannot do. I will tell you this, if someone tapped me on the shoulder right now and said, you have to start over, you have to go back, you have to take your medical entrance exam, you have to apply to medical schools, you have to start over, I would do it all over again. Mm -hmm. And I think that's unusual to hear in this day and age. But as long as I'm allowed to treat patients and help families, medicine will be outstanding for me. It will be my passion. I think... People who want to go into medicine because it's their parents' dream for them or people who want to go into medicine because um, they look at it as a way to make a lot of money, uh, they're, they're going to be disappointed. There's a lot of sacrifice involved. But if you want to go into medicine because you want to help people and you want to leave an imprint on people's lives, that's, that's never going to change. And taking it back, because I think that's a great perspective you just brought up. And I'd love to hear that you would still do it over again. There's so many people I have on here, and I think that they would not. They wouldn't do, you know, their path over. So I'd love to hear that this career has been, you know, your passion, and it's been that fulfilling for you that you would do it all over again. Yep, I would. I really would. And let's, like I said, let's take it back a little bit to where we were just a minute ago. You said that, you know, you were going back to school. You kind of wanted to figure out between the two. There was academic um, medicine, as you said. And then where did gynecology come into this? Was it initially what you had decided that you wanted to go? Is that, is that what you do in the academic medicine in that? I mean, where, how did this thing with vaginas come into place? Yeah. Well, I, I will tell you, when I went through my clinical rotations, there were two clinical rotations I did where I said, I will absolutely not do that for a living. Okay. And one was psychiatry. Um, and the other was gynecology <laughs> because when I was a third year medical student and I did my first exam, gynecologic exam on a patient, I was so nervous. Like I sweat through a t-shirt, a dress shirt, my lab coat. It sure. was awkward. Um, I just was, there's no way I was going to spend my life doing that. Um, and then in my later in my third year of medical school, I had a, I had a situation where I went into one of the labor and delivery rooms at University Medical Center and there was a guy standing there. He was enormous, like skull rings and leather biker vest and, you know, big beard and ponytail kind of Hell's Angels looking guy. And um, I went in and I introduced myself. I said, hi, I'm Paul Wilkes. I'm a student doctor. I'm going to be helping with the delivery of your baby. And he looked at me and he said, don't fuck it up. Okay. And I was like, uh, okay, dude, I'm not even sure which hole the baby comes out right, at this right, point. Right, right, right. So uh -huh. I don't need the pressure. This is so good. So now fast forward three, four, five hours later, and I have the privilege of delivering his daughter. And I delivered that baby. I saw that it was a girl and I looked at him. I said, say happy birthday to your daughter. And he was crying. Oh. And at that moment, I realized that I wanted that feeling every day for the rest of my life. It does not matter race, religion, socioeconomic status, politics. It, at that moment, you are stripped down to your barest essence of humanity. I you know, often say that um, you know, if you become a doctor, you get a front row seat into people's lives, and if you become an obstetrician, you get a backstage pass. And that's a day that I think... Anyone who's been part of a birth, they can describe 
every single detail. It's just so amazing. And I get to do that every single day. And even more importantly, I have patients who come to me and they've been told you'll never have a baby. And if you try to have one, you're going to die or your baby's not going to make it. And I get to figure out a way to, you know, prove whoever said that wrong and, and turn a couple into a family. I get to do that. I mean, I get paid to do that, you know? And the way you describe it is so beautiful. It's like, I, I'm kind of emotional today, as you guys know, but it's yeah. like, it's like this magical, I mean, magical for you to even say that. I mean, I feel like a lot of times it's not viewed as that way, but you're right. You're the problem solver. You get to go in there and, and manipulate things to help people's dreams come true. I mean, what better job could you possibly have? Uh, Victoria's Secret salesman. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. And then that, that would be it. That would be the only other option so I can think of. Those, I mean, that's it. Those were my two options. And, and I'm happy you chose this one. I'm well, really happy. Yeah. I still haven't given up my other dream. We'll see. <laughs> they could have, but post, post um, retirement, you maybe got, in re- maybe in retirement, Christine, what do you think? Maybe. Christine's with us. She's a little shy today. Why, why aren't you talking? You never stop talking at home. What's going on in here today? This is what I, happens when you come in the studio. That mic comes on and it's serious because it lasts forever. I might get a mic at my house. It's the best thing ever. If this is... This is what happens. You're going to have a mic in every room. I'm going to have a mic in every room. There she is. Uh-huh. We just needed it once. We just needed it one time. We're gonna we're gonna introduce Christine in a minute too. So she's gonna take just a second to think about this. But you okay? So you deliver this baby. This is it. You're like this is my path. And it was it literally that linear from there on out that that was where your that's where you were headed. That's where I was headed. But I got to a point where you have to understand in dealing with certain patient populations, you will get to a point where you care more about someone's baby than they do. And it's no fault of their own. I'm in no position to judge these patients. Sure. I haven't lived their lives, but we had women who would come and deliver a baby, leave the hospital, not take her baby with her, you know? And I got to a point where I really, there's a OBGYN in town named John Martin, an amazing, amazing doctor. And he pulled me aside and said, I think you're good at this. And I think you should do this. And that got me thinking about it. And, um, I, you know, the trouble was that I was just getting so emotionally invested. Like, how could a woman, you know, smoke crack right, when she's right. pregnant? How could a woman deliver her baby and leave it at the hospital? And, you know, John really kind of took me aside and said, your job is to care for this patient and care for this baby, whether she is a drop-in prostitute that's never seen a doctor or whether she is the wife of a CEO of one of the casino hotels, you care for them all the same. You give them all the same compassion. Um, and he encouraged me to not do what most people encourage young physicians to do, which is to build up a wall and keep a distance between myself and the patient to protect my own heart. Uh, you know, I haven't done that. I'm not good at it. I'm emotionally invested in each of my patients. Sure. And, um, that was really my only struggle was how much of myself, how much of my own heart, my own happiness, my willing to sacrifice to be all in. And some days are easier than others. There are days I come home and I just have to go upstairs and turn off the lights and go to sleep because it was a horrible, sad day. But those are few and far between and the, the good ones outweigh the bad ones and make it all worth it. Well, like I said, we started, the reason why you said a minute ago, I don't really know why I'm on here. The reason why I wanted you on here is because people kind of have this thing with you. Um, Dr. Wilkes, I'm telling you, these women will come on and they'll cry. I mean, Tana, which we could talk about forever, who's obsessed with you. And my friend, you know, Lynn um, Jerome, she came. I just oh, I love you, them. Oh, you've just like yeah, changed these them. people's lives. And they ta- they come in and it's, you are forever a piece of their life. They they will, you are with them forever. And I kept thinking as, you know, I was hearing these stories going, gosh, this is not just a man with his profession that is able to do this because how many gynecologists do we have in the city? Um, but this is a man who's, it's, it's an imprint. You have left, you are the human, you are the type of human who's left an imprint. And that's the kind of person I want on the show. I want to learn from you. I want to learn about you. I want people to listen to this and go, wow, you know what? I hadn't really seen it in that light before. So as we talk about this in terms of race, religion, politics, you know, you're, you could really be a doctor of sociology, right? I mean, from what you've seen. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, the ups, the downs and everything in between. Um, but it hasn't taken you out of your work. So to have kind of, you know, heard from Dr. Martin and, and every once again, another great doctor that has a great reputation is Dr. Martin. Um, I do think to myself, you know, you've stuck with this career this whole time. And have you ever thought about stepping out or did you ever want to go somewhere else or, or how, how were you able to grow through your career? You know, I 
I never really thought about switching careers or tapping out. I think I'm so blessed that that I found something that um, just feeds my soul. I mean, I, you know, when my kids and I used to drive to California and they'd see the the mega bucks lottery sign, mega bucks, three hundred million dollars, and they would say to me, "What, well, Dad? What would you do if you won three hundred million dollars?" I told them, I'd, "I'd go to work. You know, I'd go to work. I'd do what I do without three hundred million dollars. It's you do what makes you happy." And I've tried to instill that in my children, that you know, what I want you to be when you grow up is happy, whatever that looks like for you. And I've and I've told my kids, you know, when you're faced with a decision, ask yourself. Is this going to make me a better person? And is it going to make the world a better place? And if you can't answer yes to both questions, you're on the wrong path. And I feel like I've been given the gift of a career where each day I have a chance to grow and I have a chance to um, develop emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. But at the same time, I have this ability to leave an imprint on someone's life. And I don't, I don't know any other career where I'd be able to do that. I mean, I just, I can't believe I have the life I have. And I really mean that. I just, I don't know what I did in a previous life to deserve this one, but I'm glad I have it. It's, it's just amazing to me. Um, I do want to think about like the, in terms of the maternal um, fetal aspect of what you do, how have you seen medicine change over the years? Because I'm sure when you first got started, the things you can do now were, you know, just an idea or, or were they already being implemented? Have you seen the technology of your, of your career change? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, I, you know, mainly what I do is I do prenatal diagnosis. So, it, you know, if you do a obstetrics and gynecology residency after four years of medical school and four years of a residency, you can then go out and open up a general OBGYN office, which most people choose to do. What I did was I chose to subspecialize and take on three additional years of training, teaching, and research to become a perinatologist. I subspecialize in maternal fetal medicine. So anything that makes the pregnancy high risk, either from the, the fetal standpoint, the unborn baby, or maternal standpoint, maybe the baby has a heart defect, or maybe it's a twin pregnancy, maybe mom has high blood pressure or diabetes. Um, so the basic meat and potatoes of the medical management of high-risk pregnancy, um, you know, we fine-tuned that. We, we have different medications, and we have medications about which we know more. Um, but where I've really seen a lot of growth is in two areas. One is in our ability to operate on the, the unborn child while still in the mom's uterus, or to treat that child um, with medications or blood transfusions or even in utero surgery. And the second is in our ability to really make some very difficult prenatal diagnoses that now you know about it when the child is born and you're prepared to deal with it. And that's because of the ultrasound technology and the computers and the post-image processing uh, to which we have access. I mean, we have 3 and 4D ultrasound. I can do an ultrasound sweep of your baby inside your uterus and reconfigure that and spin that image and look at your baby like I was spinning a, a doll. I mean, that's insane. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. And I, I'm like floored too, because that first um, point that you hit on where you're able to operate in utero, I mean, like, are you kidding me? Like, are you kidding me? Wild, right? It's like, ins I didn't even know that we had that. I mean, that's how behind I am. That's how I, I never had a baby, so I don't really understand some of this, but I'm like, that. It that's mind blowing. Yeah, it's wild. Stuff we can do. I mean, there are babies now who survive that even 10 years ago had a 0% chance. And, you know, that, I think that's the other thing that, that is required um, in my in my profession is, and it's awkward sometimes, but I think I need a tremendous amount of faith to do what I do. I need to understand that, and, and I was talking with the patient about this yesterday. Um, it was really touching. I, I went into the room, she was a new patient, and I introduced myself and she said, you don't remember me, do you? And I said, no, I'm sorry, I don't. And she told me this story about how two years ago, I came into her room on labor and delivery at Summerlin Hospital, and she said, you were the only one that gave me hope. Every other doctor walked into my room and started to talk to me about 
all the reasons my child wasn't going to make it. She said, you're the only one who sat on my bed. You're the only one who grabbed my hand and you're the only one who gave me hope. And I said, what happened? And she said, I delivered my son at 23 weeks, which those babies aren't supposed to live. I said, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. And she picked up her iPhone and she said, he just had his second birthday. His name's Ethan. And you know, that's not me. That's me being used as an instrument. That's not, and, and I don't make any promises and I don't pretend to know the future, but what I can do is I can promise that I'll give 110% to every single patient. And I do tell them, I say, I have faith that it's in God's hands. And, um, you know, I, I don't get a lot of pushback on that. Maybe a handful of times people have said, I don't believe in that or don't talk about that. But I think people appreciate my willingness to bring faith into the exam room, into the operating room, because I have control over very little. I have control over my actions and my reactions, but the outcome is ultimately up to some other force in the universe, which I choose to call God. Gosh, I, I get the chills when you said that, because I just think that's like such a such an intimate, I mean, as we know, I just lost my fur baby and it's like the, 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 you're the most vulnerable, right? Thinking you're going to lose your child. It's like, I could only imagine, I mean, and they're looking into your eyes, just hoping for something. And so, I mean, to bring God into it, I feel like that's a power move in some ways, you know, it just, I, I think it's interesting. Some people say, just don't, I don't want to hear that. I'm not ready for that either. I mean, to, to be able to do a little bit of both, it's acceptable, right? Yeah. Yep. The days that things don't go in your favor. What yep. are those? What, what, those happen, right? Yeah. Yep. Those are the days you go home and those are the days you need to turn off the lights and go to bed. Um, or is it a part of the process? Have you come to that place where you're able to understand both? No, I'll never understand why, why babies die. Um, I'll never understand why, why parents lose children. I don't, I don't, uh, I don't ever think I'll become that enlightened. Um, I am lucky enough to have someone at home who, in my darkest moments, regardless of what is bringing the darkness into my life, can shed light. And it's through this amazing gift of unconditional love. And at the same time, she's totally unwilling to co-sign my bullshit. And she'll call me out when I'm wrong. And she'll kind of pull back on the reins when I'm getting too big for my britches. But um, to have that when I walk through the door and to know regardless of how my date went or whether or not I feel like a success or a failure that I'm going to walk through the door and be loved. Uh, that really gives me strength when I'm weak. So your day starts literally at home with Christine. Yes. We and that's, and that sets the tone for the rest of your day. Yeah. We, we wake up in the morning and, um, we do a meditation, which is something that she's encouraged me to do. Um, I don't have the patience to do it without her, but she'll say, okay, meditation time. We do our meditation and we go downstairs and she makes me a protein shake and we have coffee and we laugh. I, I will tell you, I wake up every morning laughing and I go to sleep every single night laughing. I believe that. She is so funny and just, I don't know. There's just something about her. I just cry laugh all day long. Now, I want to talk a little bit about how you met because this is a part of, you know, you being able to go in and, and do your, you know, your work. And I, I was just recently telling a friend of ours that, that Christine have in com and I have in common, I called her the other day and we were talking kind of about you guys. And I said, you know, they've become my my hope, if you will. Because oh, my God. But I'm so sweet. But, but, but from the bottom of my heart, because you don't really find anybody nowadays that's getting married. How many people can I name on one hand in Las Vegas that have gotten married in the last, like, three years or four years? It doesn't happen as often as it used to. Um, and, to, to, you know, I look at you guys and I think, gosh, they really have kind of found that glow and that hope you become like my, my, my hope couple. I feel like I've gone on this journey with you that if, if it can happen, maybe it can happen, you know, for others as well. Um, how did you two meet? How did you, how did this happen? You both live here in Las Vegas and this is the journey. I want to know. Yeah. Well, um, Christine was looking through a book of sperm donors uh -huh. at a infertility clinic and uh -huh. she saw my picture mm -hmm. and she called me up. She said, I don't want a baby, but I would certainly like to take that for a test drive. Uh -huh. And we've been together Ever since. Ever since. Ever since. Right? I mean, Christine, is that how that happened? I want to talk about that. 
<laughs> He's so frustrating. No, uh -huh. That's not how that happened. Because I, I kind of know, I've heard my part of how it happened, but I want to hear from you guys. How did this happen? For me to tell it? Yeah, yeah, you tell it. Um, Lean into that mic and we want to hear, we want that buttery voice. I want to hear it all. <laughs> my voice. Uh -huh. um, so I was out to dinner with a group of my girlfriends and one of the girls, Elena, who everybody here knows. Yes. Awesome. Um, she said, how is your boyfriend? I said, we broke up a few months ago. And she goes, that's so weird. I ran into a friend today at the salon that I work at. And he just split up with somebody a few months ago. And you guys are both really funny. And I think you would really hit it off. And uh, she gave me his number. And unbeknownst to me, she didn't also give him mine. Oh. So I text him and said, hey, it's Christine. Elena's trying to set us up. He had no idea who I was. No idea. Like, Freaking Elena. Freaking Elena. True. And all he writes back is, did she tell you I'm a rapper? So okay. I was like... All right. I like this guy already. Uh -huh. I have no idea who I am. Yep. Yes. <laughs> but um, but he's a rapper. Uh -huh. yeah, this is it. We, this is our introduction. We texted the next morning and we texted and talked on repeat for probably 12 hours straight. Gosh. And um, just laughing. I was late for work. I spilled makeup on my dress. I couldn't, I couldn't put my phone down. And um, he said, you know, I have uh, prior engagements tonight, but I would break them to come have dinner with you so he came into my job and we had dinner and we talked for maybe three hours gosh shop and you know despite you know popular belief he's quite the gentleman and walked me to the car and gave me a hug and tell him what you gave me Jesus. Uh huh. Uh huh. Anyway, chest bump. Uh -huh. She did. A chest she bump. Did. I gave her a. I gave her a hug, uh -huh. and I said a really nice time. And she goes, "Me too, bro." And chest bumped me. Yeah, and I was like, uh, "Can you wait right here while I go find an engagement ring?" This is the one. I found the one. Yes. This is it. Yes. And that was it. It was. It was signed and sealed oh, yeah. at that point. The next day, he's like, "We're gonna go out again tonight, right?" And then the next day, he's like, "We're gonna go out again tonight, oh. right?" And pretty much. Ever since. Every day since. Yeah, pretty much. Every day since. I just went um, to visit our friend Allison for two days, and we both, as soon as he walked in the door when I had just gotten home from the airport, we looked at each other and we're like, it feels like we haven't seen each other in a month. Ugh. It's just like I miss him. I really, truly enjoy all the stories he just told. I probably heard, you know, 10 times. Right. I just listened to them over and over. Like, sure. I really just love him, you know, his whole story, everything about him, listening to him talk. All of it. How has this career been with your relationships? Are you on call? Yeah. So all of my patients have my cell phone number. Okay. And I try to deliver all of my patients. So what, what I tell them is if I am out of town or in the operating room, I can't come to your delivery. But otherwise, I will be there 24-7. Okay. And that's one of the things that was really cool when... Um, you know, Christine and I first started to date was she, her job as a, a casino executive and a casino host was similar to mine in that, you know, if there's a guy losing, you know, $500,000 at the casino and he wants you to come at three in the morning and find him Rice Krispie treats, you're going in. It's true. Okay. So she very much was understanding of this idea that, that uh, you know, when I get called, I have to go. In fact, on our second date, we were at Mastro's Ocean Club in mm -hmm. Crystals, and we had sat down and ordered, and our appetizers had come, and we were waiting for our entree, and I got a call from Labor and Delivery, and they said, Dr. Wilkes, your patient's nine centimeters and feeling pressure. You need to come. And I said, okay, and I hung up the phone, and I said to her, um, I've got to go to the hospital. And she was like, Look, I'm a big girl. If you're not feeling it, just tell me. Oh, of course, that was her response. Yeah. Uh -huh. I thought mm -hmm. that he had told me before that he used that to get out of bad dates. He right. He told me that the right. night before. So I'm like, listen, I know what you're doing. You're right like, now. I'm on to you. I'm on to you. Yeah. So, but he wasn't. So, so I said, no, I swear to God, I have to go to the hospital. So I called back to labor and delivery. I put it on speakerphone and I said to the nurse, I'm out to dinner with this really great woman and she thinks i'm trying to get out of the date could you please just confirm i'm coming for a delivery and the nurse very much like any labor and delivery nurse goes yeah that's a cute story but now she's 10 and feeling the urge to push so if you could hurry up that'd be great she was not amused she didn't find that no, entertaining no. whatsoever no no and so i said to christine look i don't want this date to end 
the hospital is right by my house. Right. I'll drop you off. You can hang out with my dogs. I'll go do the delivery. And when I get home, we can finish the date. And she came with me. That was it. That was it. And that's when you kind of knew too. You're like, this chick's kind of cool. Yeah. I was like, she's cool. She's, you know, she gets it. She's down. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, um, I think that it helps that I've taken care of some of her friends, even before she and I met. Sure. I'd taken care of some of her friends. And since meeting, I've taken care of some of her friends. And I think she gets to see both sides of it. Right. So she knows that when I'm breaking plans that she and I might have, it's, you know, it's for something meaningful. Right. I mean, there are guys out there who are not making dates because they're on their Xbox or they... This is very true. I, that's uh-huh. sad, but true. Yes. Uh, like, you know, or they're at their fantasy football draft or they're hanging out at a bar with their buddies throwing back beers. Like, I'm either with Christine or with my children or with all of them together. Sure. I mean, we, Christina and I both have a great relationship with my kids and my ex-wife, we just got back from a New Year's Eve trip in Cabo San Lucas. We all get along. So great. And so I, I love that she can, she can accept the fact that there are just times where other people have to come first. And when, how do you think you learned that? How do you think you learned to be malleable like that? To be, to be like, okay, I can handle that. Like as a chick, like, were you always like that? Or you just think you appreciated him so much? I mean, how, how do you think you, that was, that became easy for you? So I think that when we started dating and I really got to see his passion for what he does. And when I got to meet people that had, you know, everything wonderful in the world to say about him and, you know, how talented he was, how much he loved it. It was very much a turn on for me, you sure. know, and to... I would never hold him back from being as busy as he can and helping everyone, you know, as much as he does. And so, um, you know, for me, I I mean, I like it. I like that he's driven. I like that he's, you know, a popular doctor. I get that. You know, that he loves what he does. Now that I know that it's a turn on for her, I'm going to actually fake calls. Constantly. And I'm just going to go drive around the neighborhood for 45 minutes and come back and be like, wow, that was a close call. What's up with you? It was a turn on in the beginning. Uh (laughs) They're both smiling, by the way. They're both smiling. (laughs) Now, you just said brought up your ex-wife a minute ago, though, too, because it sounds like you guys do all get along. Was your schedule a factor with your ex-wife? Was it it hard? Well, no. I mean, we were together since her senior year in high school, my freshman year at college. So we, we kind of... I mean, she never knew any other way except for me being busy and absent. Okay. So know. that wasn't a factor though in your relationship at all? No. I mean, I think, I think over time it wore thin, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, and you know, um, all credit goes to her for hanging in there and raising the kids and helping me develop this medical practice that has been whoppingly successful and the reason it's been successful is because I've never really had to worry about, are my kids doing their homework? Are they um, getting to school on time? Sure. Are they getting to bed on time? I mean, she's an amazing mother. And I had the luxury of focusing all of my effort on building this medical practice and what's a very competitive environment here in Las Vegas. Absolutely. At the same time, I think if you were to ask my kids, I, I don't think I've ever missed a school play or a basketball game or a performance or a graduation. It just takes a lot of time management. Okay. That's the key really is the time management. Yeah. I, I, you know, I'm a little OCD on time management, although I tend to show up late most places. Right, baby. All places. Okay. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's just, it's time management, but it's knowing that the things that are important and meaningful in my life are cared for. And in order for me to do that, I need to have someone in my corner uh, that I can count on. Right. Without question. Right. And, you know, I, I was lucky to have that with Megan. I'm incredibly blessed to have that with Christine um, as we kind of move into the next chapter of our lives. And let's talk about that next chapter. Yes. What's going on with that next chapter? We are in the middle of planning everything. Okay. For our wedding. And you're getting married. We're getting married next June. And Dr. Wicks, did you ever think you'd get married again? I would have I would have amputated my ring finger if I didn't need it for surgery. I was that positive. I had no use for it. I was never, ever, ever getting married again. Um, we actually talked about it on our first date. 
Yeah. Yeah. And that I said that I didn't want kids and I had no desire. I just wanted to be happy in a relationship that I didn't care if I ever got married again one way or another. And I actually didn't want to. And I think I was, I think I kind of made that turn before she did. I was like, I really, really can't imagine this woman not being my wife. Like I want her to be my wife. And, um, you know, we kind of went through this phase where I was like, well, maybe I could just get you a ring and it's like a, you're taken for life ring. Right. I, I just, you know, I Chinese water torture, just little by little, you know, and next thing you know, she's picked out a wedding dress and we have a date. And we have a date. And she's kind of looking around going, how the hell did that happen? This guy is a magician. Now, I mean, Dr. Brooks, you're not a spring chicken. Let's be honest. You're not I, old. Being in your presence, though, I feel always feel like I'm with like like somebody who's 20, though. It's like my favorite feeling. Is like thank you, you. You make everybody stop because you're like giggly and silly and fun, but you're so intelligent. You you really do straddle the line between these thank polarized, you. you know, opposite. It makes being in your presence contagious, right? Wow, thank you. It's true. No, and so you have this, and now it's, what is this like to find later in life? Did you think you'd find this, or did you? I had, I'd given up on, um, you know, I'm kind of a romantic at heart and I always feel like, um, you know, that happily ever after is out there, but yep. maybe just not out there for me. Right. Um, and I was content, uh, spending time with my children and traveling and hanging out with friends. I didn't feel that there was some giant void in my life that needed to be filled. But, you know, Christine and I talk about this, like, I could never go back to that place now that I know what's possible. I could never, ever imagine not waking up next to her or not laughing with her. Or, I mean, we, I bet you we spend 50% of our time just laughing. What do, you, what do you guys laugh about? And hanging out. Oh, oh he's God. The funniest person ever. Bachelor. But he said you're funny. So yeah. you both think each other are Bachelor, funny. No. Bachelor in Paradise. Is that, is that your thing? Yeah, no, no. Temptation Island provides a lot of material, lots of material, and uh, I've never even seen Temptation Island. Yeah, they take four couples. What they do is they take four couples that are you know trying to figure out their relationship, uh-huh. and they take the four guys and put them in a house with twelve single girls, oh. and they take the four women and put them in a house with twelve single dudes, and they're like, let's see how this works out. Oh, by the way, add a bunch of booze and. Uh, it's so that provides a lot, but you know, I think we just, I don't know. I mean, we laugh about everything. We laugh about nothing. Yeah. We, uh, um, just silliness. That's the main component though. It is. It's just we silliness. All day, every day. And I never thought ever that I would have this life where I wake up and I laugh and I laugh throughout the day and nothing makes me mad because we are laughing sure she still she still laughs when i slam my junk up against the glass shower door well because it's, when I'm, it's classically funny when i'm taking yes I'm never gonna get old. it's classically hilarious if Sorry. you don't laugh at that you're dead something's wrong your soul something is very wrong so yeah a lot of butt humor okay um yeah it's not always really intelligent humor sure a lot of it rarely is actually. You just get I each other. It. I mean, we just talked about slapping junk against. I mean, that's just oh, humor. Yeah. It's just it yeah. is what it is. Yep. It's anatomy. I mean, throwing up against cold glass. I yeah. mean, it is. I mean, yeah. come on. Yep. Um, do you think that you could have had a silly relationship like this when you were starting out in your practice? Do you think this the, the timing no. was this? No, no. It, These it, things are serious. At that, I mean, they're serious now. But it was all timing, and you know, I have grown. Um, I have grown in ways that I would have never imagined. Um, a lot of that has to do with getting into recovery from alcohol and drug addiction. Okay. And um, I say that without shame. I think that um, the, the group of men with whom I've surrounded myself um, and this spiritual journey I've been on since I went to my first meeting in 1988 um, has allowed me to kind of climb out of the driver's seat in life and get into the passenger seat and accept the fact that I am not in control of everything. And perhaps what I need to do is I, I really have this feeling like when I'm depressed, I'm living in my past and I'm sad about stuff I can't change. And when I'm anxious, I'm living in my future 
And 99% of this shit I'm worrying about doesn't ever even happen. So, so I tend towards depression or anxiety and I need to bring it back into this exact moment with you and me talking and doing this podcast and the love of my life sitting a foot away from me. It's true. I'm so happy when I'm focusing on this moment. And I didn't have that ability to realize that as a young man, um, a young father of three in a very competitive business environment. I mean, when I joined Joe Adishek and uh, we started Desert Perinatal Associates, we had two doctors, four employees, a 1,200 square foot office and $1.8 million in debt. Welcome to your career. You know, that's how you started. And now we have four offices totaling about 60,000 square feet with 140 employees and eight providers. And we're looking at expanding into other states. And there's a certain amount of emotional bandwidth that used to be spent on worrying about what if I don't make payroll? What if, what if patients don't want to come back and see me? What if no one refers to me? What if, what if, what if, what if, what if that that bandwidth now can be spent on enjoying the moment I'm living right now. But that takes years. That took decades for me to get to that. That's why I always ask, because I feel like people that are on their second marriage or even third for some people, I feel like there's a, most of them, at least the ones that have found their, you know, their person, there's a much more relaxed sense of it, of just being who they are, because there isn't that pressure of, like you said, you just named 10 things that, I mean, were an everyday pressure for you. Yeah. Yep. Every single day. I mean, you're waking, opening up your eyes. You guys talk about opening up your eyes with laughter now, but I mean, 30 years ago, you're opening up your eyes with stress, 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 stress. You know yep. what I'm saying? Yep. Like it's, you're fighting. Every day is a fight to get to where you, you know, you're trying to be or try to grow to where you want to be. Um, but I love that you kept fighting. I just think you guys are super cool. I just think your, your relationship is super special. So Thank you're going to you. get married next summer. Is that what we said? Yep. 6-12-22. Okay. 6-12-22. Everyone's invited. Manhattan, uh-huh. Chelsea Pier. Everybody come. Everybody come. You, you heard it here. Uh-huh. Um, and where do you see your career going? What's going on with you professionally? I mean, you just said a minute ago you're hoping to grow more, but like really five years from now, wh- wh- what is your career going to look like? Well, um, in the broadest sense, I'll be doing something I love. Okay. I am not sure if that will be on the kind of more administrative practice management, practice expansion side of things. Okay. Um, or if it will be still kind of in the trenches, taking care of patients. Um, from a schedule standpoint, getting into the administrative side of things would make my life a lot easier. From a what fills my cup, I can't imagine a day without taking care of patients. So Christine and I have talked about it. I'd like to figure out a way to kind of work two weeks on, two weeks off. And then during the two weeks off, we'll go up to our house in Northern California and golf and sleep and hike and laugh and eat. All the things. Yeah. Eat all the food, all of the food. I'm there for the food. And you've got Christine hooked on golfing. (laughs) Yep. Is it your thing right now? Once you get that bug, boy, it's, it's oh, real, right? It is. It's a, a thing. real thing. And I suck, and I don't care. I love it. But do you suck? I do. She does not suck. I feel like yeah. she doesn't suck. I no, suck. no, she is. You know, she'll go out. She's played for a year. Okay, okay. there are people who have played for like forty years and never gotten a birdie, Absolutely. which is one under par. Uh, she's got like two birdies in her first year, and oh. she'll go out and she'll she'll hit like three good shots, and then she'll hit one bad shot. She's like. Damn it! Why do I suck at this? Right, I'm the like, one she's focusing on the one because it's golf. Everyone sucks at this. Everybody, every single person. But you know that's that's another thing about her. I mean, she is her own worst critic. Look, you and I have done spin with her. Yes, I've, we have. I have seen what this girl looks like in yoga pants on a spin bike. I and mean, hello. It is fire. I mean, come on now. And but she'll stand in the in the mirror and look and go, oh my god, I can't wear these to spin. I have a muffin top, and I'm like. What are you talking about? But like she she's sees just, it. She's her own worst yep. critic. And when it comes to everything, and that's my mission in life, is I want her to look at herself the way that I look at her. I've often said to her, I wish you could spend one minute inside my heart when I look at you and feel what I feel. All your doubts would go away. I'm getting there. It's, it's, it's amazing. A, you know, that's a work in progress thing too. I think, especially for just sure. With women, you know, for sure. And I'm way better than I used to be, and he makes me feel so loved and so confident, and it really is helping me. 
But yeah, that's years and years embedded in our brains with the society and just yep. being a woman in general. It's tough and we're tough on ourselves. It's true. It's a lifelong journey for a lot of us, you know, working on it. and where we get. But I mean, that's really what a companion should do, right? Is make us see ourselves in that different light. Yeah. I mean, you would hope, Yep. you know, you would really hope that your companion felt that way. Um, okay. So it sounds like you have some good things coming up. We got a wedding coming up. We've got, we don't really know about work. We've got maybe some, some different varieties of options. Options. Make, we're putting it out there in the universe. Yeah. Two weeks on, two yeah, weeks yeah. off. Perfect I have world. A, I have options. Well, I mean, you know. hello. I have options. I mean, you're Dr. Wilkes. Yeah. I mean, that's what it says on my driver's license. I mean, it's who you are. I mean, yep. come on now. Yep. Um, okay. So I want to ask you for a couple questions, just fun questions. Yes. I want to learn about you. Fire away. Um, if you could go to any concert today, if all the concerts were back up and going, what concert would you, who would you love to see in live? Justin Bieber. Okay. That does, that requires no thought. He's dead ass. Serious. Well, we were going to have our first dance be a Justin Bieber song, and I actually reached out to Justin Bieber's manager okay. and asked what it would cost for him to come and sing our first song right. live. Right. And the answer was he doesn't do weddings anymore, but he'll do a private concert for $3 million. Oh, okay. All right. Well, now we know. So we now are back to a DJ. Yes. That's what happens. And um, we're going to, I think we're going to either do the electric slide no. or the chicken dance for no. our first dance. No, I told him. I said, none of those. Cha-cha slide? Nope. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah. I won't marry him. I won't. Okay. Nope. No, Beaver. I'm a believer. Yeah. I mean. That's I true. Third date, I gave her a beanie. We were mm -hmm. walking the dogs. It was cold. Third date, I gave her a beanie and she said, does this beanie say believer on it? And I go, yeah, it does. That's who I am. I'm a believer. So I am. I played Justin Bieber the other day. It was a cool down and you were all about it. I mean, you were, you yeah, were about, yep. and even the girls at the counter, when I went to the front afterward and they were like, oh, that guy in the back, he was into this. He was, I said, oh yeah, you bet. He's not messing around. <laughs> no. He's not messing around one bit. Okay. So we have Justin Bieber as a concert. What's yep. your favorite movie? Are you a movie guy? Yeah. I love movies. Um, my favorite movie is going to be A Few Good Men. Okay. Love it. Jack Nicholson. So good. Tom Cruise. So good. You can't handle the truth. You can't handle the truth. You I mean, can't. No. You, you, you ordered the code red. Yes. You can't handle the truth. Yes. I mean, all the things. Come on. Yes. Watching that tonight. Okay. <laughs> and, well, and now you're saying something. I'm going to be watching it tonight, too. You inspired me. I mean, obviously. Yeah. Drink a choice. If it's not alcohol, it sounds like it's not. That's where you are right now. What's, yeah. your, what's your favorite? You're going to go for some. What are you going to drink? Okay. So for refreshment, uh -huh. I'm going to go for a uh, Pomplemousse LaCroix. Whoa. And okay. I just found out, I've probably uh, consumed about 150,000 gallons of that. And I just found out that pomplemousse is French for grapefruit. grapefruit. Yes, it is. I didn't know that. Okay. So that's what, uh, for refreshment, but um, for any other reason, it's going to be um, Christine's chocolate peanut butter smoothie. Really? Yes. Chocolate peanut butter oh, smoothie. Yeah. I was out of town this week. He texted me and he said, well, I got up. I got the dogs fed. I'm, I'm out to work on time. I made my own protein shake. And I have to be honest, yours is way better. Well, obviously. I, well, isn't it funny? Something just hits different when someone makes it's it true. for you. Yeah. And I think about a lot of things. Somebody was making me like scrambled eggs, like as simple as that. And I'll right. try like, this is the most amazing. <laughs> Where did, what did you, what's your secret? They're like, what are you talking about? I put Pam in the, uh, in the thing and I spray <laughs> yeah. it and we yep. put it on here. It is. Yeah. Um, are those unicorn eggs? Literally. They were delicious. It's so yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the best eggs I've ever had. <laughs> yeah. Um, what's in the peanut butter smoothie? Um, we do vegan protein powder. Okay. I do a half a frozen banana. Okay. A scoop of peanut butter. Um, I do a little bit of turmeric. Uh -huh. Turmeric, is that how you say it? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that's. Yeah, and almond milk, almond milk, ice, and then I ice. put a shot of espresso ice. in his. So it's yeah. like a chocolate, peanut two butter, shots. coffee. Something. A two shots. Two drink. shots of yeah, espresso. Um, what's your favorite workout? Oh, gosh. That's going to be uh, 103. Okay. Um, I, I really love to go to 103 okay. and do their hot classes. Okay. And um, they just started a class that's non-heated. And uh, it's kind of a boot camp style class, but I really like the hot ones. It's just such an amazing challenge sure. to get. And especially you get, you know, they have an instructor over there, Danny. And uh -huh. You if, love Danny. If you can make it through a Danny hot boot camp, it's so true. you can be a Navy SEAL. Yes. In my opinion. Well, I feel like I, I took him before when he was just doing hot Pilates mm -hmm. and I, he, he, there's something he brings there's something he brings that's just different than what everybody else brings. I don't yeah. know about your class and what you're talking about, but I felt like in the past I was kind of addicted to him too. I thought he just, he adds a little element of something. Yeah, he's just, he, he loves it. He's he loves, loves it. what he does. He loves it. And I love his music. Yep. He like plays those long mashups and things like yeah. that. He's got like good, you don't get bored with the music where sometimes you're like, what is this song? <laughs> okay, um, shout out there we have. Um, sunset or Sunrise? Oh, Sunset. You're Sunset guy. Yep. 
What's your favorite sport to watch? Are you are you a sport guy? Yeah, not really. Okay. Um, but you know, if I were going to watch one, it would be UFC. Okay. Combat sports. What about to play? What's your favorite sport to play? Golf. With Christine. Yes, absolutely. In, although, um, I just bought her her own golf cart. Because, oh, yeah, that's yeah. Awesome. No, I had to because after about twelve holes, mm-hmm. she's like, "This game sucks. Why would? Why is it eighteen holes? Why is it not 12? And then they also, um, golf requires a lot of concentration, and she is talking about snacks. Yeah, a lot. Yeah. So I. So I'm. Where's trying, the cart girl? So she, where's the snacks? Yeah, okay. so I'm trying to line up, you know, a 40-foot putt that breaks three different ways, and she's like, man, I'm hungry. I wonder if I have a protein bar in my bag. Okay. Uh-huh. So we got me my own cart. It's filled with all snacks okay. and lotions and sunscreens and extra set. hats and socks. and Yeah, yep. and then this way, now because we live in the neighborhood where we golf the most, sure. I can just, after 12 holes, drive home myself. Done. And he can finish. So I can finish he 36. He a golf cart for himself. It's genius, though. It is genius. Yeah. Everyone's happy. Present for him. When, Everyone's when? Happy. When, Everyone's when? happy. Um, lake or ocean? Ocean. Do you have an ocean you like prefer more? Or a place, a beach that you prefer? Um, anywhere in Mexico. Okay. Yeah. You're a Mexico guy. Yeah, I love Mexico. Um, chocolate or fruit candy? Ooh. Fruit if it's sour. Okay, it's like a sour something. Sour something. Yeah. Um, and what did you miss the most during COVID? When everything was closed down, what, what, did you, what was your little heart craving the most? Ooh. Well, family, okay. time with family. I, I went six weeks without hugging my kids. That was horrible. Uh, my son was living with us, but my two daughters, like six weeks. It was, I, it, I just couldn't even imagine. Brutal. I worked every day. I still haven't missed a day of work. So I worked every day. It was the weirdest thing to drive to work. I, I work at 10 different hospitals. I have four different office locations. And I was the only one on the freeway. It Gosh. was bizarre. Like like a Will Smith right. end of days yes. movie. Yes, yes, yes. I could, I could see it. I could only imagine. Bizarre. Okay, so we have family time there. And let me ask you the final question for today of us getting to know you. What are your three favorite products or things? What are three things you could not live without? Christine does not count. Okay. Um, La Mer face okay. lotion. Gucci socks. Okay. They're socks, really? Just a different feel? Yeah. It's a different feel, though? Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah. It's, it's, it, that shit be hitting different. It hits different. It hits different. Okay. So we got La Mer face lotion, Gucci socks. Now, wait. Do you do the La Mer lotion or you do the cream? I do the, I do the, um, it's the lighter one that comes in a pump bottle. What? Okay, yeah. so you do yeah, the yeah. lighter. Okay. Yeah, comes in a pump. I think bottle. that is a lotion then. Yeah, okay. yeah. I don't do the body lotion. No, I just go straight trailer trash, Cetaphil, Costco. Done. Done. Perfect. Two giant tubs for nineteen ninety nine. Well, because we're, we're saving up for the La Mer. That's why we. Yeah, they're not giving that away. <laughs> they are not giving. <laughs> you ain't away. get any of that, baby. They, you ain't getting any of that. Not giving away the uh, La Mer. Yep. So, and the, my third product, I could not do without. Wow, I might have to. I, I might have to phone a friend. Nespresso. Yep. Is that it? Yeah, no sprout. So every day, every day, I phone a friend. Do you have a special one? You like a special pod? Well, uh, Christine got me this badass Nespresso machine for Christmas where the pods come with like a little barcode on them uh-huh. and you pop them in and the machine knows how much water to add and how strong to make it. Like 40 mLs all the way up to 230 mLs. So okay. just depends on my mood. If I'm looking for a quick pick me up without too much uh, stain on the teeth, sure. I'll go for a shot of espresso. Right. If I'm feeling, um, you know, easy, easy like Sunday morning, I'll go 230 cc's and sip it slow. Bam. Low and slow. Low and slow. Low and slow. Gosh, I love you, Dr. Wilkes. <laughs> Low and slow with an espresso. Honey. Holla. That's right. Um, Dr. Wilkes, I can't thank you enough for your time. I know you've got things going on. I, people always go, gosh, it ended up quickly. I know we got an hour of your time. We've been together an hour. Wow. I know. Having Christine with us has actually been really, really fun. I'm super happy to ha- that she came on with us. Yeah. And I just, I'm so grateful that you're a part of our community and that, you know, you're here with us. Um, we did talk about so many things about where, you, where you've been, where you've gone, fatherhood, how much you love your kids, your career, your line of work, um, the true passion that is, is you. 
Um, we've talked about, you know, the love you've had for your ex-wife and the love you have for Christine and Mexico and all the fun things involved of, of who you are. So I just want to thank you so much for letting us in. Um, we are going to close here shortly. Are there any final words for you, Dr. Wilkes? Well, first of all, thank you for inviting me on. Is this your first podcast? This is. What? Yes, my first podcast. Yeah. He asked yes. me on the way here. He goes, what really is a podcast? I'm obsessed. I swear. Nobody, can I say, nobody really knows. Nobody really knows. I, it's my first one. Uh -huh. And I was like, I didn't prepare for it. I'm literally, I did two surgeries this morning. Okay. Before I jumped on the podcast, I was calling labor and delivery to make sure my patient wasn't ready to deliver. Gosh. And I was like, God, I didn't even prepare for this. Uh-huh. But uh, no, thank you for having me. Thank, thank you. you for um, making me feel interesting. You are. And um, thank you for loving me and loving Christine the way Absolutely. you do. Seeing you. My, my hope couple. I'm telling you, seeing you, I walk into that spin studio or we run into you at a dinner and it's like just a ray of sunshine. And, um, you know. Thank you, doctor. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. Um, Thank you, Dr. Wilkes. Like I said, the, the, a pillar of the community, changing women's lives, leaving that imprint. We got to say goodbye with Pink Box Donuts. So good you will lick the box. They're just out here spreading smiles. We hope you have a great day and thanks for listening.